I'm Anthony Bachman from All Things Good and Nerdy, a geeky podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. We feel the love in the air. So welcome to episode 168 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we see about what puts you in the tube. In this week's Better Podcasting download, we run down some TOS. And we're talking about Terms of Service, not the original series. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we reveal a new Apple Podcast review. Lauren, start the show now. Or should I say, engage. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 168 of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen John Drew, and I'm pleased to say that I have Stargate Pioneer here with me as well. You're like my Valentine, SP. And apparently you're my Valentine, although I just, I, I do, wow, I, I almost threw up in my mouth there. <laughs> if you have not checked out the show before, uh, we like to start off this show with what we call a How I Save My Podcast story. Basically, it's something that something has gone wrong. Somebody has submitted something to us about how they fixed it, and thus they have saved their podcast. And you can go ahead and send this to us if you'd like to podcast at betterpodcasting.com or go ahead and tweet us at betterpod or head on over to our discord at gunageek.com slash discord or betterpodcasting.com slash discord whichever you prefer but when we don't have one of those we do have a how i could have saved my podcast story where we head out to the internet and we find a story where something maybe might have not gone so great and we theorize how that could have been saved and this week i want to go ahead and say that I saw a video clip this past week, saw a video clip this past week. And at first, when I saw this video, I went, okay, this podcast audio recording needs to be saved because what it was, was it was somebody very famous, somebody on a condenser microphone. And I'm like, oh, oh no, oh no. And they were in this big room, this big living space. I think there was a fireplace behind. And it was, of course, none other than Jeff Goldblum. And then... I press played on the clip and I went, you know what? This doesn't need to be saved because it was Jeff Goldblum purring into a microphone, a condenser microphone. And then I said, you know what? That's an acceptable reason to use a condenser microphone because you want to hear all of those little fine, fine uh, noises that are coming out of Jeff's mouth when he purrs. So that's the, I'll go ahead and give that the Stephen John Drew stamp of approval right here off the top of the show. If you are Jeff Goldblum recording yourself purring, which is then looped for eight hours, of course, uh, you definitely, definitely are acceptable to use a condenser microphone. And that was how a podcast was not saved because it didn't need to be saved and it wasn't a podcast. There are many uses for condenser microphones. Usually podcasts are not one of them. And in this week's How I Could Have Saved My Podcast story, this was a Reddit post in the podcasting subreddit by Under the Milky Way. That's you slash Under the Milky Way if you're into the Reddit speak. The title was Quick Suggestion. Stop Worrying About the Gear. And this was Under the Milky's Way's post. Quote, just wanted to drop this friendly advice. The two threads I see most on this subreddit lately are the number, celebrations, and gear advice. Here is my advice for gear. Samsung Q2U USB mic pop filter. And that's it. Record in a quiet room, turn off that air conditioner, edit whatever noise out you need to in post. You'll figure the rest out as you go. What matters is that you're not wasting your time slash money on the part that matters the least, the equipment. Sure, you're going to be extra judgmental about your sound quality, but the vast majority of listeners only care that A, it's presentable, and B, 
the content itself is engaging. My first gear upgrade wasn't until 36 episodes in, and this upgrade was provided by a faithful fan. If they didn't do so, I'm not sure I would have bothered, unquote. So Steven, not a condenser microphone, but a Samsung Q2U, which is a dynamic cardioid microphone. We have often talked about it. It is not just a USB microphone, but it is a USB and XLR microphone. So it will allow you to grow into the future if you want to use a portable audio digital recorder, if you wanted to use a mixer or an audio interface. I think that the Samsung Q2U, the Audio-Technica ATR2100, which I see right behind you on your backdrop, and the Audio-Technica AT2005, I think those are all great starting microphones. You can get them and just forget about gear for a while, Stephen. I think this is great suggestion. And for the love of all things podcasting, please don't purr into the microphone. Uh, well, anyways, there's two things that I do have to say about this. Number one, uh, really good advice, especially when you're starting out. So many people see so many different, different people that they're hearing advice from, including us here using a bunch of gear and they go right for that. And it's like, no, just start simple. Something like this is really, really good. It's easy to, uh, get going and it sounds good. So I like this advice. I think that is really solid and it's best just to focus on your podcast rather than the gear. And then, of course, the second thing that I have to say about this is, of course, that's the second thing. Hey, it didn't sound so bad on a dynamic microphone. Uh, would have been better on a condenser. It it probably would have, but then you would have heard all of the rain that or snow that it's impacting your window from the outside. You would have heard the kids running upstairs because I know that's what they're doing right now. And you would have heard the knocks at the door as they're saying, Daddy, Daddy, we want more chocolate. We want more soda. That's true. I agree with all of that, and I won't dispute any of that. But let's go ahead and move on to our featured topic. So guess what? There's one thing. By the way, you like how I say guess what? Like they're going to answer. Should we just wait and we'll just wait till somebody responds? Guess what? I was thinking that because I was listening back to myself on last episode and I said, right, and you know, and guess what, or whatever I said last week. I'm like, I need to stop saying that. So yes, this is my resolution for episode 168. I'm not going to ask the listener questions that they can't respond to. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have guessed, well, you're, you might be right. You might be wrong. But there's one thing that we do here at Better Podcasting, and we do it every week without a lot of fanfare behind it. In fact, we've actually done this for every episode since we launched. That's 168 episodes ago. Now, although our use for this has changed and evolved a little bit since we first started, overall, we're still doing this in a similar manner, especially we hear better podcasting, to how we were when we started. And there's been a lot that we've learned about doing this over the years. And there's a lot of different ways that we've started to do this. And today we want to talk about this. So what are we talking about? We're talking about YouTube. That's right. Today we want to talk a little bit about YouTube and how it relates to podcasting. And why are we doing this? Well, the reason we want to is because as a podcaster, there's a lot of benefits that can come when you do end up using something like YouTube along with your podcast. But there are also some things that you need to be aware of if you're going to start venturing into YouTube. So today we want to share some ways you can use YouTube in relation to your podcast, some personal stories that we have, and also some warnings that we have if you are going to start using YouTube for podcast related things. So let's go ahead and kick it off with ways that you can use YouTube as a podcaster. While there are more than what we're going to mention today of ways to use YouTube, today we're going to focus on the ones that have worked for us as hobbyists and a few others we could potentially see ourselves doing. So, okay, we'll start with one that we don't regularly do at Better Podcasting, but we've dabbled with in the past, and I have actually done this with Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. It is simply posting an audio-only version of your show on YouTube. That is no talking heads, not what we're doing here, just like a static image and audio behind it. 
So in this case, what you're doing is simply using YouTube as another place that people could potentially check you out for or check your podcast out for. It's a distribution hub and an SEO catcher. SEO stands for search engine optimization. Now, this is where you take your audio only podcast and upload it to YouTube with either an accompanying image or perhaps a video or a looped video or a looping slideshow is a better way to say it. Because YouTube is largely a video platform, right now you can't upload audio only directly to YouTube. This might change in the future, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but right now that's the way things are. And if you try to, you'll be greeted with a wonderful little message, which I've actually received before when I've tried to upload the wrong file, and it reads, quote, the file you uploaded contains only audio and no video. Learn how to easily, and this is underlined with a little uh, HTML thing, convert your audio track to a video file type. Undo the HTML thing. So it doesn't want you to upload audio only. And matter of fact, it won't let you. So one of the easiest ways to do this isn't the methods that YouTube suggests, but it is if you use your media host that has this built in to the publishing tools. I know Libsyn has this. I'd never use it. I never want to use it, but it's in there. So traditionally what they do is take your album art in the 16 by nine format and then stitch it with your audio and then submit it. If it's not in the 16.9 format, at least it lifts in, it looks really weird because they stretch it out and it just doesn't look good. So whatever method your media host chooses to use, if they happen to offer this solution, it's going to be easier than any of the alternatives for you. Now, one thing to remember is that while YouTube may be in the middle of making some changes, such as integrating a service called YouTube Music, the reality is that YouTube is still built on the videos. And so until this transition occurs, or maybe we should say if this transition occurs, many people going to YouTube are likely to still be looking for video content. So please have realistic expectations. And by the way, I think it's important to highlight that if because Google has tried lots of different things before in lots of different places and backpedaled or changed or gone a different route fork in the road, whatever thing you want to say many, many times, Google pod or Google, Google play podcast. Anybody, anybody want to walk down that memory lane? Uh, another way that you could use YouTube as a podcaster is like how we do here on better podcasting. And that's putting out a full video show companion. This is where you're going to use YouTube to distribute an actual recording of your podcast, not just an audio with an image. We're actually not going to get into all of the different ways that you can do this because we've covered it a few different times. And if you want to look a little further into that, it's episodes 14 through 17. We talked about video podcasting as well. We revisited that a little bit more modern information on episode 138. So go ahead and check those out there if you want to look into a little bit more about video podcasting. Now, what are some other ways that you can use YouTube? Well, Here's one that a lot of people don't think about when they think about podcasting and YouTube, and it's using it to help build your podcast by creating original slash affiliated content. This can be a real win-win scenario for podcasters because sometimes you can potentially find listeners through those videos that you've made while you're creating content as well that your listeners can enjoy. For example, let's say that you have yourself a podcast about podcasting. I don't know who would do that. Such a silly idea. Bizarre. You go and you create a channel where you post some related videos or semi-related videos to podcasting in general. Well, someone might watch that video through YouTube because they did a search on YouTube and then find your video and then catch the part where you talked about your podcast and then come over and listen to your podcast especially if you've branded it with your podcast information. And that's the important part there. And yes, we're talking from experience. This has happened. We've had people who have said that they've started subscribing to our podcast because they found a video that we've done on YouTube. One of the ones that stands out right away is SP's Knox microphone right or review that he used to do. We used to get a lot of people linking to that and people then checked out better podcasting after that. That's one that stands out in my mind. 
Yeah, that was an interesting one that I'm going to have to redo because I now have the Samsung Q2U. You can't buy the Knox microphone, podcasting microphone anymore. And they're all the same with the Audio-Technica ATR 2100 and AT 2005 USB and XLR, as we talked about before. But yes, many times we've had people hit that and then come watch better podcasting from there. So you have to have some cross-branding in your videos at that point. Here's the bonus, though. Creating affiliated content creates for your podcast itself. It offers additional content that your listeners can check out if they want to explore a topic further. And this can help build that continuing relationship with them. This could be super helpful if you're covering a topic on your show that is sometimes beneficial to either explore more in depth, but explore maybe more in video show and tell ways, but it could also bore some of your current audience on your show. So having that extra content available on an additional channel is always a good thing. Now, for example, maybe you're going to do an episode of USB microphones, kind of like what we did last week. And you have a method that you want to demonstrate in a step-by-step fashion of how to use those multiple USB microphones. You could potentially create this walkthrough on your channel and then reference its availability on your show. And of course, link it within your show notes. Man, that's a great idea, Stephen. Somebody should actually do that for our episode last week. Geeks.link slash multitrack USB if you missed that. That's geeks.link slash multitrack USB. I did a video. Uh, moving on here, uh, one thing that you can also do with YouTube in order to offer additional content to your listeners is using the, quote, unlisted section of YouTube videos. When you go and you post a video on YouTube, there's a few different options. There's to post it publicly, which basically makes it searchable by anybody. There's to make it private. So you have to either, I think there's two different ways that you can share it, but basically you have to specifically share it with somebody. And then there's this quote, unlisted version, which essentially means that anybody can see the video if they have the link. And so that unlisted area where it's not actually publishing it out there, but you're not having to go in and manually type a name to, to share with somebody can be great if you do have a community like a Discord channel or a Patreon or a uh, fan site or something like that, and you want to go ahead and give them a YouTube video to watch without actually having to go and individually share it with, with them, but not also make it fully public. So that's a really good way that you can also offer content to your listeners. So Stephen, what are some of the best practices if you're going to start using YouTube for your podcast? And what are some of the best practices basically that we have to suggest? I'll start here for a second. First, we'd suggest finding a way to make a uniform brand, something that is easily identifiable by your audience on YouTube and your listeners if they go over to YouTube from wherever they're listening to your podcast for. For example, if you've established a relationship with your audience using one brand, you want them to be able to search that where they go, listeners to YouTube or vice versa, YouTube to podcast or listeners. This doesn't necessarily mean that the singular channel name, but this is things like titles, descriptions, artwork, that sort of thing. Gonna Geek Gear is a great example where it's the Gonna Geek branding, but it is in a different color. So it's the same picture, just a different color color. Ultimately, you want your audiences to find your video, or if it's a YouTube viewer searching for your podcast, finding your podcast, discoverability, that big problem that everybody says is out there and really isn't. But basically know instantly it's the right place to be. Now, a good way to do this is by referencing it as applicable. For example, if you're making a YouTube video, state that you have a podcast. If you're using a service to auto-generate your video, it might be a little bit harder to do, but put it in the description. So make sure you annotate it somewhere. And people do read descriptions on YouTube, by the way, all the time. We get comments on ours, and I've commented on descriptions on other, like the sailing YouTube channels that I talk about often that I watch. Or perhaps another good way to reference is by doing a unique image that is like your album art, but says that there's a podcast as well. Also, another way to reference is try to make it really easy for people to find your affiliated content. 
For example, putting the links front and center for your audio podcast or in your YouTube description or maybe in those little placard cards that pop up either during your podcast or the end screen that's now available on YouTube. Or you can make it easy for your podcasters listeners to find your YouTube content by referencing it in the description or posting it easily to find on your website. And admittedly, when Stephen and I have talked about this, we could do a little bit better on this. It's that whole show notes growth thing that we've been doing over the course of the last couple of years. Now, another best practice that we have is to spend some time building your subscribers up front so that you can claim your YouTube URL. You know how in the past we've mentioned that you can go to youtube.com slash gonna geek or youtube.com slash gonna geek gear. Well, guess what? We had to get over a hundred subscribers in order to get that custom URL. It's a requirement that YouTube has before you can get that custom URL. So even if you're planning on mostly using this as side content, it's a really good idea to focus on trying to build that audience at first so that you can get that custom URL. Because the one that's not there is is you're not going to share with anybody unless they're clicking a link. It's very long. It's not easy to follow. And you'd probably have to make yourself a short link. So it's a really good idea to try to get that, especially if your podcast name is a little bit more vague and there's a chance someone else might end up getting that first. It's a, it's a good idea to try to claim that as early as possible. But with that said, you don't want to game the system in order to get those subscribers or anything else to do with YouTube, which is actually our next best practice. And the reason why we say don't try to game the system is because YouTube has some algorithms in there and sometimes those algorithms can negatively impact you if you try to game the system. We're not going to give specifics on this right now because YouTube is constantly changing. And honestly, in 2019, when we're recording this, there is a lot of change happening behind the scene right now in the last year or so with what YouTube is displaying and how they're rating content and things like that. So we don't want to go ahead and say something right now. But what we do want to say is that YouTube is trying to make money. That's an obvious. Google wants to make money with YouTube. And so what are they going to do? They're going to try to connect the right content to the right people so that people are willing to sit through those ads or whatever in order to make money. And so if you go and you try to game the system, YouTube or Google, who whatever you want to say, has a lot of money to figure out who's gaming the system and try to figure out the trends and the patterns that indicate this. And the odds are they're going to want to make sure that that there whatever algorithms they have will consider that possible gaming. So if you go and you game the system, it could actually hurt your channel. So that's ultimately what we want to say is try not to game the system because it probably will hurt you in the long run. You do want to have a person that really likes your content watching your video. And it doesn't matter if it's your video or somebody else's video from the YouTube standpoint, from the Google standpoint, because they want you to watch those ads. And Steven, I don't know how much YouTube viewing you do, but like for the sailboat channels that I really like, I will sit there and I will watch those advertisements for those people that are trying to monetize their channel. I'll watch those advertisements in the hope that it will be helping them. So you want a viewer like me to those sailboat channels watching those advertisements because it's money for YouTube and Google. And that's what they're trying to do right now. Now, if you run a website and embed your YouTube content for SEO reasons, that can help you as well with your cross-platform promotion. This is something that we try to do with the Gonna Geek website. Now, when we post a YouTube video, we add it to our website. This is because if somebody is Googling, often YouTube videos are sorted together at the top of the search results. If you haven't seen that lately, that's always video first, especially if you're using a Chrome browser. But if someone skips over those, you want there to be another opportunity for people to view your video down below in an actual article or in your podcast homepage or something like that. Then the videos will pop up as soon as you click on that. So you get two choice, two chances there if it's on your website. So if you embed it on your website, that might see it on your website first, or they might see the website result. And then when they open it, boom, your video is there and then they can go watch your video on YouTube. Here's the rub with all that. I know we just talked about website, but if you want to cross promote on other platforms, specifically social media platforms, some content distribution hubs won't easily embed YouTube videos. They won't easily embed 
audio files either from your podcasts or podcast players. It's been a known thing. For instance, we'll just talk about the Facebook because, well, I love talking about the Facebook. The Facebook is like my kryptonite, basically, with social media. Facebook, what they will do now, they used to embed the YouTube video and you could watch the YouTube video. Now, you're lucky if you get the link actually shown and then prioritized in the feeds of your followers. So sometimes you actually have to click on the person or the page that you're following in order to see this stuff, just because Facebook wants you to see videos on their platform, not send you to YouTube. That's just an example. It's across the board, though. More and more distribution places or social media are doing this, and they want you to stay on their platform and not go anywhere else. With Facebook, I don't know how successful they're really going to be long term on this because ultimately people are going to want to watch the content wherever they are. And other people like content creators might not want to place their videos integrated into Facebook because then they lose monetization of it. So you have to use it differently. Is it a promotion? Is it your actual content? That sort of thing. So watch out on where you place your videos for distribution. You don't want to make it harder for your audience to either view or listen to your stuff. But at the same time, you want to make sure it's out there. Just things to consider. All right. Now let's move on to something that's, I'll call it the fun part. And this is our stories and general cautions that we have about YouTube. And this is because we've been posting for you to YouTube for a very long time. And we have learned a lot and we want to share so that hopefully you understand and can avoid some of these things that we have run into. Now, We'll kick it off with something that honestly might put people off of using YouTube right away. And that's why I want to start with this, because it is a really important thing to know. And it's that people on YouTube who view YouTube videos, quite honestly, they can be very opinionated. Yes, I know that I'm painting with a very broad brush on this, but the reality is this is what we've seen. It's amazing how many people who have come to our videos have posted very strongly opinionated comments without much expansion to their opinion. They're curt, they're short, they've got a lack of empathy, they clearly think that we have no feelings, which is probably true because we're podcasters and podcasters don't have feelings, right? That's what I hear, we're all robots or something like that. Well, you're a robot, that, that I know for sure, and I'm a rocket scientist and we all know engineers have no feelings, so. That's true, I, I am a robot, but anyways, back to the point. While sometimes there can actually be some worthwhile feedback for consideration found within this curt short message, even if the delivery is total utter crap, sometimes they just come off outright rude and it can it can hurt a lot. So comments, for example, can come also on a personal side of things like comments of appearance or your voice or your delivery. They could just be more personal attacks as well. And yes, we are speaking from experience. Sometimes there is good feedback within that. Sometimes they're just outright, basically trolls. And to be honest, these the types of comments we see at least once a month, if not more. And we've even actually had people come and make comments. And then we've assessed whether or not we want to leave the comment on there or we want to go ahead and, and delete it or respond to it. And it really just depends on the type of comment Generally speaking, the approach that we take is we'll delete personal attacks, don't need those, but maybe leave and respond to ones that are just rude, but critical feedback at, at sort of the core of what they're saying. And we try to address them in a more polite manner, depending on the response. Sometimes we do get a little bit more stern, but if you do want to find out a little bit more about how you can react to feedback or handle negative feedback, go ahead and check out episodes 118, which was objectively assessing feedback and episode 158, which was specifically about negative feedback. So we won't get too much into that. Another thing that you'll need to remember is that not everyone is going to see your cross links, no matter how hard you try. We've had links within descriptions or even on the screen on the video, and people still end up writing to us asking where to find it. It just happens. You have to deal with it and say, thank you very much for contacting me. I mean, if they're asking for a link, they're obviously interested. So thank you very much for contacting me. Here it is. 
This next point that we're going to talk about hits close to home because it's happened to us quite a few times, actually. And it's that you never know what video might actually take off. Whether it was Steven's Zoom L12 walkthrough on the Guinea Geek Gear channel, whether it's NASA's rover convention video that Lauren did with the rover, or my JBL LSR 305 speaker unboxing. I did that intentionally, by the way. Generally, whenever we've had a video takeoff, we really didn't expect it to get as many views as we did. And sometimes there are things in there that you wish you could redo, kind of like my misspeak a little second ago. And that's why it's important to keep this in mind before you hit publish. In Steven's L12 video, it was a focus problem. When he had me preview it, I was like, dude, you need to learn how to focus that damn thing. And he's like, yeah, but I can't redo it. And I'm like, okay, we got to go with it. And for me, as I misspoke a second ago, it was the LSR305 or was it the LRS305 JBL? five inch monitor speakers yes i made a huge mistake there yeah he called them the wrong model number and even though he's corrected in the description he's responded to comments he still gets people who regularly feel that he needs to know again that he said it wrong happens Thanks. all the time Thanks. appreciate it Thanks. yeah the video that's well, about three years old now yeah yep. i do but you're saying okay well i'm smarter than you steven and mm, probably smarter than you too sp i'm just gonna go and when I find this error, I'll just go and I'll replace the video. It's just so much easier. Well, that brings us to our next thing that we want to share is, as it stands in February of 2019, you cannot replace a video on YouTube. And this is important to know for a couple of different reasons. Obviously, what we just mentioned, if you make a mistake, it's out there and you either have to delete the video and re-upload it or do something else. But it's also important because if you're going to use YouTube as a live streaming service, you need to know that if you're going to post an edited version of your show, your counter is reset to zero, your view counter. This happens to us every single time that we do better podcasting. We have a live YouTube video that goes out. We get our different hits on the live, and then we decide that we want to go and publish the edited version of this show, uh, the one that has the proper double-end recording, has all of my mistakes taken out, the CGI run on my face, all of that stuff there. And so when I publish that, that counter is back to zero and the live hits basically mean nothing to my counts on the channel. Now, you have to make this decision. Is this what you want to do or do you want to leave it up there or how do you want to handle this for us? Ultimately, we decided it's best to get rid of the live because sometimes there's mistakes, sometimes there's things that happen that we don't want up there long term and we'd rather just have the long-term video on our channel be the edited one. But that's a decision you have to make when you're in one of these situations. Our decision, by the way, was based on the fact that we're really looking at the audience and what the audience wants to see. If they're watching our content weeks or years down the road, they're going to want to just see the finished content. They're not going to want to see the live stuff. We do live stuff every week. You can see us live and make all our mistakes and see the production magic happen but the edited version needs to be the good edited version because we don't want to waste future viewers' time. Another word of caution we have about YouTube is this terrible thing called content flagging, and this can actually be a huge one. Now, content can be flagged on YouTube for a couple of reasons. Copyright violations, and this is generally when content has either been auto-detected as a copyright violation or it's manually flagged by someone as a copyright violation. The manual has happened to us on the reverse where somebody has ripped our video and put it on their channel and then we get notified of it. We're like, no, that's ours. And we manually flag it. So that's how that can work for you. It also can work against you. The other reason why content can be flagged on YouTube is for community guidelines violations. This is very much vague. This is way vague. But yes, YouTube has community guidelines and content can be flagged as such. Unfortunately, in both of these situations, if this happens, it's not a fun situation as the appeals process is very vague with very limited information being provided by Google. And there is very little information that you can appeal and provide 
quite frankly, because the appeals process only allows 80 characters or something stupid like that. To be honest, the process is also made to discourage you from appealing with you facing the risk of damaging your channel if you appeal and is deemed not to be a valid, valid appeal. We're not going to get into the specifics on this because they are ever-changing, but we did want to share a couple of specific examples we've experienced. Now, first, years ago, we had somebody flag a couple of our videos on our channel for community guidelines violation. The appeal box was so small, we had to basically say, quote, we didn't violate the guidelines, unquote, and the appeal was overturned. Yay us! Second, last year we had not one but two live videos marked as violating a copyright for music. There was a better podcasting violation and gonna geek violation. During the appeals process, Stephen told me he received the information the company made, the claim, and the song they claimed we used. This was a manual appeal. Guess what? The song literally wasn't used. Matter of fact, I believe it was when I was talking or Chris was talking or you were talking. It was when we were talking. There was no music being played. And it was also a relatively completely unknown artist. So we went through the first step, which was basically turned the appeal over to the person making the copyright claim to approve the appeal. Guess what? They said it was not a valid appeal. And this took Stephen to phase two, where he was going to have to provide more information. And if this was deemed to be an, an invalid appeal, the channel would face consequences in the terms of a, quote, strike, unquote, to the channel. Strikes are bad in terms of YouTube channels, because you get enough of them, you can't do certain things, and then your channel gets ultimately taken down, I believe, after three strikes. So given that these were live videos, we didn't proceed because it wasn't clear who was making the judgment. And ultimately we were going to change the video for a produced video anyway. So lastly, in regards to flagging, we think it's important that we highlight that YouTube does have a pretty good content identification service where it looks for copyrighted content automatically. So if you've been walking the gray line on your audio, on your podcast, this could be flagged automatically and your video could be taken down. This could be as simple as, and I know a lot of people want to do this, as like a four second clip of a TV show that you're wanting to talk about. Yes, it will be flagged because you do not own that content. So definitely keep that in mind because there is quite a bit of stuff that um, can happen through those different uh, versions of violations or strikes and whatnot. So there is a whole other system of what is acceptable and what happens if you face a situation that it might be deemed unacceptable when you get into YouTube. Now, in closing on this topic, no matter what you decide, YouTube's going to take more work for you. When you start doing YouTube videos, you're probably going to want to make an active decision on whether you're going to prioritize your audio show or your YouTube programming. It doesn't matter which method it is that you go with. You can definitely put focus on both, but because you're doing something so time intensive like YouTube videos and podcasting, both of those take a lot of time. Ultimately, you're probably going to find you want to focus more on one. So if you can make that decision, it can help you balance the other one out and sort of figure out how you're going to accomplish that. For example, here on Better Podcasting, we did just mention that a minute ago, but we do focus more on the audio side of things here. It's always been the priority. Yes, we do videos. Yes, we refer to videos. Yes, we have fun doing joking videos occasionally for the channel and whatnot, but ultimately we're focused on the audio. And so that's our higher priority here on better podcasting. There's really no right or wrong answer. It's what you want to do for yourself. You might've been podcasting for a very long time, and all of a sudden you find that YouTube actually gives you even more fun than audio podcasting was. Because again, you're a hobbyist and, and you might decide that, okay, well, now I want to go ahead and prioritize my YouTube instead. Ultimately, it comes down to your show, your YouTube channel, and what you want to do. You never know, though, which one video is going to shoot on up and maybe that ends up making your decision and you go you know what? That was really fun. That was really, really fun to have that get hundreds of thousands of hits. That's way more than I've ever gotten on my podcast altogether. Maybe I want to go ahead and put some more time into YouTube. You don't know. 
You don't know, but you probably will only have like 10 hits per video. That's probably the more likely situation. Yeah, and then you have to pay attention to how long people are watching your videos, and then it gets into the whole statistics. And just like the IAB podcast measurement guidelines 2.0 on podcasting, there's going to be some revisions in the video lanes of the road. Facebook really sucks on that because I don't think they're... They know, but they don't want it public how long people are actually watching stuff. And then on YouTube, obviously, with all the content creators that are being paid through the advertisement system, yeah, they're going to want to pay attention to that. So really, it just depends on where you're getting the more traction. If you're getting more traction on YouTube, go with it. If you're getting more traction on audio, go with it. And then there's the whole fun thing, too. Maybe you're getting more traction on YouTube, but you love audio more, so you put more prioritization in that and ultimately you might decide that is the only place where you want to distribute your content to and vice versa it really doesn't matter you just never know what's the one video that's going to be the mega hit or the one podcast that's going to get traction you're going to be found so you know play with what works for you and your podcast there's no set in stone law that says you have to do one or the other so if you've done YouTube content and you had an experience with working it in with your podcast, please do let us know through any of the ways you can head on over to betterpodcasting.com or tweet us at betterpod or just find us. Find us wherever we are. SP loves it when people approach him from behind in the parking lot. He loves it. Welcome to this week's Better Podcasting Download. Stargate Pioneer, you ended up seeing this terms of service news come up uh, a couple days before I started to see it making the rounds. And what is going on with Apple Podcasts and terms of service? Is, is the terms of service that you can't use Apple Podcasts anymore? Is that what it is? Yeah, you have to call it iTunes now. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was really weird. Last weekend, I was talking to somebody about the podcast connect issue that I was having where it would let me own the podcast that I had taken ownership of legends of shield and starly tribune in terms of statistics, but I couldn't see them in my podcast connect account. And I've tried to change it like four times and it hadn't changed. So I went to log into podcast connect, which I don't do on a regular basis. I know a lot of people do because they obsess over the stats that you can get. I don't, I don't worry about it. And oh, I will every once in a while, like I did on Saturday. I was like, okay, so now I'm in here. Let me take a look at the most recent stats for better podcasting or Legends of Shield or Starling Tribune or whatever. But before I could get in this, uh, this is Saturday, the when was it? The 9th of February is when I noticed this. I don't know when it was published, but new terms of service came up. I was like, whoa. In the middle of doing something else, so I didn't really pay it much attention. But I went back to read it later because I was like, Well, not only do I podcast about podcasts, so I should be able to tell people about this, but I should be concerned about it for my own shows as well. Basically, in the terms of service, and I will reread them again for next week if I have to, but basically, the big change in this term is that you cannot allow a third party, which means not you, not Apple, another party, another service to go in and have access to your statistics. They don't want third party aggregators coming in, taking your Apple podcast stats and then aggregating them with anything else out there. There's several services that do this. I won't name them, but it is now illegal in terms of Apple for them to have access to your stuff and then aggregate it for you. So you could have a more centralistic look at all of your stats. Now, via information from Libsyn, we know that Apple provides roughly, and this might not specifically apply to your show, but all the shows out there that Libsyn has they have 65% or so. It varies over the past few years from like 60 to 70%. But say 65% right now of all podcast downloads and listens go through Apple's architecture. And it might be actually a little bit more because some apps actually pull from the Apple API, the podcatcher apps that people listen to. But the statistics as shown by Lipson are 65%. 
So it is statistically relevant to take that 65% of listens. It is limited to mobile devices on iOS. So people that listen to podcasts on an iPod, like I do, don't count. But anybody else that's listening through an iPad, uh, running an iOS of, of something or greater, I think it was 11.0 or 11.7 or something like that and higher. All those statistics count. So not only are they getting amounts of listens, but they are looking at how long people are listening. And both Stephen and I have taken a look at this in the past. This is interesting, but at the same time, I'm not crying, shedding a tear over these third-party aggregators not having access to this. Apple's figured out that they've got something that people want. And they, for the first time, might be able to monetize the podcasting space. Not necessarily by monetizing the podcasts themselves or advertisements, but monetizing towards the podcasters themselves and then providing a service themselves. I don't know if they're going to turn around and say, okay, we can be aggregators now. And so we can go out to Stitcher, Google, or wherever and aggregate your stats for you. Or if they're just going to charge third-party aggregators for doing that. I have no idea, but right now it's illegal for people to share their Podcast Connect information with third parties to get that statistical information. And okay, it's just going to make it harder for business podcasts. For hobbyists, though, I, I don't know if this really matters right now, Stephen, because hobbyists aren't in it to aggregate the all the stats. They're not selling advertisements. Yeah, I think that this is a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously, they're wanting to keep all the information in-house. And I think there's reasons why they're specifically doing this and they don't have an API. And that's sort of the second thing that I want to mention is in order to do this, because they don't have an API, you really need to essentially hand your logins over to whoever's using this information. So whatever third-party service is using this, you need to have your login. And that creates all sorts of other issues for Apple because they're going to go ahead and now if there's a big security breach with another company and they've kind of just sat there saying, yeah, okay, we'll ignore the fact that this person, this big company over here is saying, hey, we'll analyze your, your Apple podcast stats, then it sort of creates a problem because then when it's time that something like that happens, then they kind of are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They now have to kind of clean up somebody's mess and and that's just because they accepted that someone else was doing that. So I think it makes sense from that perspective as way as well. But I do think the driving reason probably has to do with wanting to control that information in-house. But I, I think you're right. I think for a hobbyist, it's not a big deal. It's just a little bit more inconvenience for someone who was using a service that did aggregate a bunch of different statistics. So, yeah. All right, let's kick it off with a review that we had from Apple Podcasts. This was a one-star review, and it said, Stephen, you suck. Oh, sorry, sorry. That was a personal email that SP sent me. My apologies. I send you that email every day. How can you get that mixed up with a new iTunes review? And yes, I'm just going to call it iTunes review because that's where I spotted it. I spotted it on iTunes. I did not spot it. <laughs> on apple podcasts there you go take that apple <laughs> hashtag shots fired yeah yeah so the title actually was cut off it was one of the best informative podcasts oh and and i'm thinking it is like about podcasting but it was a five-star review it came in a couple of days ago it was written by nola nerd couple probably from the nola nerd podcast that's n-o-l-a nerd that's two words and the review goes as follows, quote, my wife and I do a podcast. We are on a long hiatus due to some medical issues, but this podcast keeps me interested in picking up the mantle again someday. The hosts are knowledgeable and opinionated. They confidently without being angry. They are confident without being angry. Their love of podcasts is always at the forefront of each episode, unquote. Thank you very much, Nola Nerd Couple. That's awesome. Sorry to hear about your medical issues, but thank yes. you very much for the five-star review. That came at a really good time for Stephen and I. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And yes, very sorry to hear about the medical issues. 
as for the part about not being angry, I'll I'll try harder. I will definitely try harder if you want. <laughs> and we are opinionated, that is for sure. We we definitely but our opinion is based on experience and and uh, logic. <laughs> it's it's not like we're just ranting and raving about nothing. So, we we've taken our time, do, done our due diligence and really thought about a topic before we go and talk about it. So thank you again very much. Thank you. Anybody, You, if you leave an Apple podcast review, make sure you put in your show name, and we will talk about it on a future episode of Better Podcasting. Uh, also, if anybody wants to go ahead and send us uh, 1,200 uh, ratings on Apple Podcasts, apparently that's the current thing to do is with your your two-month-old show somehow have 1200 ratings and then go post about it on reddit apparently that's a thing now uh, apparently oh my gosh yes i i have four episodes out and we have 105 ratings really oh only three reviews but 105 ratings really mm-hmm. 105 okay yeah mm. cha-ching cha-ching mm. that's the sound of somebody making money <laughs> obviously and not the podcaster by the way in this case podcasters paying somebody to do it probably Anyway, we are going to move over to Discord, and there were several great conversations this week. We're not going to go into depth, but we're going to talk about what the conversations were about. The first one will title, How I Could Not Save My Podcast. Matt over on the Discord, Matt spelled M-A-T, by the way, said he made a big blunder on Audacity. He had his side of a two-podcast episode saved, but then an Windows update screwed his PC, so he backed up his Audacity files instead of rendering them to MP3s after doing a system format and a Windows 10 reinstall. I wonder who's had to do that lately, Stephen. Matt retrieved his backup files only to find Audacity unable to rebuild them. His co-host file for himself was fine. Now, because of this, they're going to have to go ahead and re-record two shows. Wah, wah. And here is, this is the thing that I will give Matt credit for, because I was, when I read this, I was like, oh, no way. He, he actually went here. He said, time to get a digital recorder, methinks. Don't. Yay, Matt. I'm sorry you had to go through it, but yay, Matt, on the decision for the digital recorder. So in that chat, by the way, we did point out all the things you need to remember, like making sure to hit record, watching SD cards, things like that. But, um. I will say this, that that was how you saved your podcast. It wasn't how you didn't save it. It's how you did. You re-recorded it. There you go. The, you know, it totally could have been a how I saved my podcast story. So because we do with our how I save my podcast story, we want not everything to be a total success either, because I think it's important that hobby podcasters or people who are thinking of being hobby podcasters know it doesn't always go right all the time. That's the idea behind that segment. So Something like that is totally great for a How I Save My Podcast story if you want to go ahead and submit it as such. As for the digital recorder, I went years ago, as I mentioned last or two episodes ago, from a PC setup. I don't regret that decision for a second. Best money. I still think that actually going to a hardware recorder as many years later as it's been was still probably the best thing I've ever done for my podcasting setup. I, I do still believe that. Moving on here, we had a discussion about explicit tags, and this was from Y-A-K-K-0-D-O-T-O-R-G. Also known as Jeremy from the Transmissions Podcast. No, I don't know. It doesn't say that in the Discord. It says Yako Tojjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjj
We've gotten these before and are probably going to handle it like we have in the past. However, I'm just curious how you all would handle this. And this was a whole discussion on explicit and personal opinions and how to respond to this person and whatnot. And it was a really good discussion. Again, betterpodcasting.com slash discord. We also had the, it seems to come up every few months again. It was a podcast loudness standards discussion. And the original post was by TGM 4883. And he said, quote, okay, so I've been practicing editing a couple of our test episodes. And one thing that I've forgotten to do is output at a good volume. Need to turn it way, way up in the car to be able to hear it. If I recall correctly, I should be shooting for minus 16 loudness unit, uh, question mark. And then he said, might need to go re-listen to a few BP episodes. And yes, while re-listening to past Better Podcasting episodes does cover this topic, we did interact back and forth and give him some options of not only what to shoot for, but how to shoot for it as well, you know, what to use to monitor. And it, it depends depending on what you're using to edit, what options are available and that sort of thing. But that was a good conversation that we had in Discord as well. It was a really good week on Discord. One thing that I want to mention before we hop off of this is that you got to remember that there are ways to analyze your loudness for the entire file, but you need to be aware of the different elements within your your, uh, podcast as well, because you could potentially have something that is really really quiet but it's such a small part of your overall podcast that when you run an analyzer on the whole episode it's like okay yeah your average is minus 16 left well the thing is it's probably just averaging it out and not noticing that you actually have something that is like way extreme of that so there's a couple different ways that we talked about how you can sort of sample different elements of your podcast and why don't you close this up with the last one here sp yeah, Ali Run, Jason, he goes by Ali Run, but his name is Jason, said, question for the room. My son's school library wants to start a student-run podcast. They, of course, are on a tight budget. They have no idea what they need to do and want to do this as cheaply as possible. They have two Blue Yeti mics, and we're thinking of buying a third to use. They will have three students hosting. I had planned on trying to steer them away from three Yetis and USB mics in general per bangs naughty bits's famous byline and point them towards three dynamics and an interface but the hiccup is they are a mac school and they're not familiar with macs and podcasting is the general setup the same could they actually use three usb mics like a samsung q2u on a mac successfully for recording editing software they have access to both garage band obviously in addition they have an education license for adobe cc what say the brain trust in here and that was a interesting conversation that ensued a lot of people chimed in and if you have an issue like this and you want to discuss it in a running chat these are the things that go on in our discord channel which you can find at betterpodcasting.com discord great conversations that we have every week and I'll just go and say it right now. Um, Bangs Naughty Bits, he was right in there right away saying, buy a Yeti, buy a Snowball. They're approved by me. He 100% said that. Totally true. Bangs Naughty Bits, he recommends that thoroughly. No, he doesn't. That's just a call out for those of you who are not watching us live on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific, because in the chat right now at Geeks Live, Bangs Naughty Bits is there, and he's saying, don't buy a Yeti. Buy a snowball is what he's saying. So obviously I'm just saying uh, he wants everything. And and obviously that's also a joke as well. But it, it, okay, so there you go. If you, if you haven't come to our live recordings, those are the sort of things that you get to see. You get to interact with none other than Bang's Naughty Bits and all of his wonderful, wonderful sarcasm. I love it. I do, I do truly love it. For the record, we do not recommend using a Blue Yeti or a Snowball because there are condenser microphones unless you have a treated room. And this is what I heard today as well. If you happen to have a treated room, you're going to use a microphone that's a lot more expensive than a Blue Yeti (laughs) to record. Because if you had all that money to make a studio, you're going to have money for a better microphone. I do want to say this. I tried to use a Snowball this past week to record because... We got some snow here and we don't often get it. And I made a snowball and I tried to record into it and it just didn't work. 
I, just I, melted in your hand. Melted in my it? hand. I don't know. I didn't get the recorded. Maybe it was Audacity. Maybe Audacity wasn't working right. Well, make sure you uh, plug that snowball into your computer next time. <laughs> oh, yeah. A little bit more yeah. snugly. <laughs> Shove that snow in there. <laughs> Before we do go, uh, I know SP doesn't like to brag and, and promote himself and whatnot, but I do want to say, Stargate Pioneer, I heard through the grapevine that you bailed out this past week none other than Dave Jackson when he had a short notice cancellation on Ask the Podcast Coach. So I did have a chance to watch. It was actually really funny. My power was out, and like the minute SP was about to start broadcasting on there, my power came back on so I could watch. And I want to say that you did a really good job it was really nice that you were able to get in there from what it sounded like Dave said. I think you was like the night before he asked you or something like that. And I want to say, I thought it was, you were funny on there and you did a really good job and it was awesome to see you represent the hobby podcaster. So good job, SP. Thank you very much. Yes. The hall of fame podcaster, Dave Jackson asked me to be on a show and I said, yes. So it was a fun time. We were able to cut up back and forth and actually get some great advice out there too, for people. And we talked again about the Spotify Gimlet uh, purchase and the uh, anchor purchases. We collectively scratched our heads over that just like we did last week on better podcasting and a lot of other fun stuff as well. By the way, he does not only a, uh, an hour long podcast, but then he goes over about half an hour and he usually chops that off and gives it to his patrons. So if you're looking for a model to make a Patreon, Dave Jackson's model of ask the podcast coach where he has an hour and then the next half hour goes on. That is how you can do a Patreon. I just want to say thank you very much, Dave, for having me on the podcast and check your text messages, man. I've sent you several. <laughs> well, there you go. On that note, for episode 168 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying it's not as good as Jeff Goldblum, but. And I'm SP saying, please don't purr into your microphone. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Better Podcasting. We want to hear from you. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. If you like the show, please consider giving us a five-star review in iTunes. We encourage you to check out all of the other geeky podcasts available at gunnageeknetwork.com. This has been a Gunna Geek production. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week.